All right. Good everyone. It's rainy here in Michigan, but thanks for tuning in. I hope you've had a great week so far. I am sitting down today with Todd Finley, the owner and CEO of HBCU Grad. This Instagram page has almost 70,000 followers, which to me is like astronomical. That's like the size of a university when you really think about it. And so we're going to be sitting down with him today talking about why he started this page. Did he feel that there was a need for more HBCU representation? If you've been wondering, we're going to find all of that out today. Good morning, Todd. Thanks for coming to Imani's Corner. How are you? I'm excellent. Good morning to you as well. Thank you for having me, Imani. Thank you. No, thank you. I am so appreciative. Thank you so much. So first things first, where did you go to school? I went to FAMU, so Florida and. Oh. Okay, okay. One of my dad's best friends actually went there. And really? when his kids, yes, and when his kids were getting ready to go to college, he told them he was like, All right, look, I'm only paying for fam you. So you can go for a year. And if you don't like it, I'll I'll pay for somewhere else. He was like, But that first year I'm only paying for fam you. And after that first year, he was like, All right, so how do you feel? And they were all like, Dad, did you pay for like next semester already? Like <laughs> so I mean so what led you to FAMU? Like, you know, there's tons and tons of HBCUs in the country. Did you always want to go to an HBCU? Like, what kind of guided your college direction? You know, I'm really trying to figure out exactly why I went to FAM. I knew I wanted to go to an HBCU. And I think the seed was planted by my father early in life mm-hmm. um, because he was into HBCU football when he was growing up. Mm. My older sister went to Hampton. Ah, so, that's where I went. Hey. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so when I used to visit Hampton and would see the campus and how beautiful Hampton's, I know you know how beautiful. Yes. <laughs> and just so much, so many beautiful people and so much black excellence. I said, I want to go to a HBCU, but I don't know if which one. Right. So in my thoughts in high school, I went down to Miami for a spring break. And I said, wow, this Florida stuff is great. Mm-hmm. I thought it was palm trees and beaches everywhere. So, <laughs> I, so I, I really think that I thought that I was going to be going to palm trees and beaches and I wanted to go to an HBCU and I wanted to major in business and fam had a great business school and yeah, they- you're right. And a couple years before I went, they won college of the year. So I think that's kind of how I came up with fam said, okay, I'm going to go down South, but I never visited or anything like that. It was just one of those, Let's go down south. Well, I want to be warm. I want to go to an HBCU and I want to go to a good business school and chose FAM. And the first time I went to FAM is when it was time for school. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. (laughs) I, I for one, am very happy that you had a very positive experience, though, because, you know, that could have backfired just a little bit. It went really wrong. It could have went wrong. Yeah. So where are you from? I see. I heard you say you wanted to go down south. Are you from the north? Yes, I'm from Cleveland. OK, OK. All yeah, right. From, from Cleveland. And you're from Michigan. What part of Michigan are you from? I was actually born and raised in Detroit and okay. I'm 
moved to the suburb, a suburb called Southfield when I was 11. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much everybody that goes to an HBCU, a lot of them are from Southfield. You know what's really funny, though? <laughs> You're actually very correct because it's like, and especially with this area. So you have people that are literally either from Detroit, like have been from Detroit through and through, or they grew up in Detroit and moved to Southfield. And it's so mm-hmm. funny, though, because people from Detroit, we I'm not going to lie, we always kind of get an attitude when people that are not from Detroit They'll be like, oh, I'm from Detroit. And I'll be like, oh, where'd you grow up? And they'll be like, oh, well, I'm actually from West Bloomfield. I'm like, then you're not from Detroit. Don't, don't right. even. <laughs> and I'm sure you probably get that with Cleveland, too. Like, I know there's Medina and Wooster that's, like, around Cleveland. So I'm sure you have people that are like, oh, I'm from Cleveland. And it's like, no, you're not. Don't. You're don't. Right. Don't you're front. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But yeah, to be honest, Cleveland is a little bit more inclusive because nobody really lives in Cleveland. Everybody uh-huh. lives in those inner ring suburbs. So most of the time, if somebody's at an HBCU from Cleveland, they're either from Shaker Heights or Cleveland Heights. And I'm from Shaker Heights. Mm, okay. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Detroit, we're, we're a bit exclusive. We don't, if you're not <laughs> from here. <laughs> and it, it's like, it's like a, a street thing, you know, like I grew up right. on telegraph so i grew up on the west side i know people who grew up on linwood like that street thing is a big deal you know to us so uh, it's probably just the detroit thing where we take that like real seriously and other people are like all right c- calm down now but <laughs> right. it, it is like that and chicago's yeah. like that as well it is yes i have yeah. a lot of friends a lot of people that went to hampton are from mm-hmm. chicago. Like, ton of them. oh yeah so yeah ton of them. i've lived in chicago for 12 years so i know so uh-huh. many okay, so many yeah. people that went to Hampton. Yes. That we it's funny though because we have a large like Midwestern population at Hampton, but it's mm-hmm. really just it's like out of that a hundred percent, right? Like maybe seventy percent, I feel like is from Chicago. Then you have this little bit from like the southern part of the Midwest. Then you have like a couple people in like Michigan, Indian, like like you know, little sprinkles, but I feel right. like a lot of people like in HBCUs in general, come from Chicago. I, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, there's a podcast I listen to. You should actually check it out. It's called The Rule 603. And it's these two brothers that went to Fisk. And one of them, he's from Chicago. And wow. I'm like, what is it with Chicago just producing these HBCU graduates? Honestly, keep it up, though. But Right. Um, yeah, it's- and it's so, Chicago's so big. So they have such a large subset. And I think a lot of recruiters come to Chicago. And they target, Probably. yeah, they target a couple schools. So they target Kenwood and mm-hmm. they target Whitney Young. And okay. from those two, that's where you get most of your HBCU students. Mm. So speaking of targeting specific demographics, is that why you started your page? Like, did you feel like there was a need for more representation of HBCUs on social media? And also to tag onto that, when did you start the page? I would like to say that I thought that deep about it and said, hey, I need <laughs> more representation. But to be totally honest with you, how it started was when the movie uh, Straight Outta Compton came out. Yeah. And everybody was selling those straight out of shirts. Mm. I didn't see anything with the straight out of HBCU shirts. Mm. So I printed some up and they went so fast. It was unbelievable. Wow. So I said, wow. So initially, 
the shirt was called the Instagram was called straight out of you. Mm, okay. <laughs> so okay. kind of like a straight out of university. Right. But, okay. You know, looking back on that, it was kind of like, wow, that was pretty corny. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a way to kind of put things out there and, and, and sell the shirts. And then as time went went on, it didn't feel like something that you really wanted to stand on. And then the kind of straight out of craze that kind of mm-hmm. turned extremely corny really fast. Right. So started to think and I started to look around, but not really because I didn't know how to do my research too well on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It was still, it was, it wasn't new, but it was still just becoming mainstream. Yeah. And was, this was probably 2016. So yeah. we were here and there. And then I said, let me change the name. And what do I want to change it to? And I wanted something that was all encompassing. And I think the first search I did, I said, let me see if somebody has HBCU grad. And to my surprise, nobody had HBCU grad. Hmm. And it was amazing. I said, wow, nobody has HBCU grad. This makes sense because we can develop content around HBCUs and there are usually more HBCU grads than there are students. Right. We changed it to HBCU grad and then I would post here and there, maybe once or twice a month. Mm -hmm. And people would respond to it extremely well. Mm Mm-hmm. Then we, I think it was, it was, so this was a, like March 22nd, 2016 is okay. when I, made, when I made the Facebook page, I see that. Oh, so you just hit there with that. You're all, you just hit three years on Facebook. Congrats. Three years. Yeah. And I've known, but Facebook just put something out trying to be more transparent where they show when somebody's made a page and mm-hmm. changed and everything like that. So that's when we made the Facebook page. I'm pretty sure the Instagram page was made somewhere close to that. Mm-hmm. February 1st, 2017. So beginning of Black History Month is when I said, you know, for this Black History Month, I'm going to post once a day and hopefully they don't get tired of it. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought posting once a day was just too way too much. Yeah. And we posted um, a picture of Kay Michelle and we talked about her bio. Mm-hmm. And I think we may have had 300 followers and it got 2000 likes. Oh, wow. And from then on, you know, you kind of get intoxicated by those likes and yeah. things like that and the engagement. So that's pretty much how it started. So we started 2016, but I want to I look at our kind of beginning date as February 1st, 2017. That's when we really got okay. serious about it. That's pretty legit. And for those that don't know, Kay Michelle is a graduate of FAMU, and she's also a Delta. She crossed at FAMU. So congrats, Kay Michelle. I don't know when your crossing date was, but congrats, girl. Go ahead. But uh, <laughs> um, I think it was 03, I think 2003. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, I truly would not know. Um, like I said, the most experience I have with FAMU is just my dad's friend's kids. So, but I <laughs> so one 
everything started to like pick up steam and you're like oh wow like people actually like this content did you expand because I keep I keep hearing you say we did you expand to like having a team or was this just kind of something that somebody else was a part of from the beginning right so the first year so that let's say the 2017 it was all me okay and it started with posting on Instagram and Facebook daily. Then it turned into I haven't starting a Twitter page. Then it started and we started a Snapchat page. Then we started a YouTube page. Then we started a website. So it started to grow in a media company into a media company, but it was right. extremely organic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what I was doing. It was pretty much on the fly. So I have mm-hmm. a business background, but I didn't know exactly what I was doing because it's, you know, this new online digital media is something right. totally different and everything's changing so fast. So for the first year it was me. And then it got to the point where I couldn't keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. So in January, so December, 2018, January, twenty. December 2017, mm-hmm. January 2018 is when I started to bring people on. Okay. And so we grew into a team of about three or four, and we're pretty much still at that three to five people range. Okay. All right. So with um, like bringing people in, like what's the diversity of schools? Like did everybody go to an HBCU? Did some of these people go to a PWI and they just want to support? Like, What's up with that? Right. That's a good question. Because when I first started, I was thinking, do we need someone from the outside that comes with a fresh perspective? Or Mm -hmm. do we need everybody to be an HBCU grad? Right. And everybody's an HBCU grad or currently goes to an HBCU. So we've had um, people from North Carolina Central. That's where my daddy went. Yay. Nice. Nice. I went to North Carolina Central to visit my cousin when I was, before I went to FAM. So that was another one of my, uh, how I got exposed to HBCUs. Okay. And um, we had people from Bethune-Cookman. We've had people from FAMU. We've had people from Texas Southern. Um, I know I'm leaving some people out. Um, But it's, it's been a, it's been people from pretty Clark. It's been people okay. from Yeah. All right. So, because actually just people listening, how we kind of connected. When I graduated from Hampton last May, I posted one of my grad pictures and I hashtagged it. So I couldn't even tell y'all what hashtags I put on there, but I was just excited to like be done. Right. right. And I got a little notification that I was tagged in something. And if you scroll way back to May of 2018, you'll see a picture of me on the page. And people were in the comments like, you know, go ahead, girl, congrats. And it was like, like, yeah, obviously you go into HBCU, you have that community of people who love and support you, but that's just your campus. So I had people that were just from all different types of places that were just congratulating me on my accomplishment and I immediately followed I was like oh I have to be a part of this community and I'm telling y'all it's it's such an awesome awesome thing to see because 
you know, as a, the black community, you know, education is something for most of us that has been ingrained in us. It's something that's super, super important. It's something that our parents want us to do. And don't just stop at one degree, like, you know, do, do what you can be the best you can be and all that stuff. And to see that your brainchild really has grown into a community of 70,000 almost 70,000 strong. And, you know, I'm sure that it's just going to keep growing and growing. That's really awesome to see because that's just a community of people who are supporting and just really care about each other. And that's so awesome to see. And I love it so much. And with you saying that a lot of people don't realize that, especially people that are outside of the HBCU community, that yes. HBCUs are school centric. Mm-hmm. So Hampton loves Hampton. Yep. Fam, you loves fam. You Morehouse loves Morehouse. Spelman loves Morehouse. But rarely do we get a chance to really get a feel for people that are at each school. Right. So that's uh, I learn so much every day just from interacting with people, and that's so cool. I didn't know that that that's how we that's how you finally yes. found out about us is when we posted you. That is that's too cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I to this day, I because I was thinking about it when I was prepping for the interview. I was like. And I didn't even think to go back and look at the picture, but I was like, how did they find my picture? (laughs) I really could not figure it out. And I'm sure if I go back and look, I probably tagged myself as HBCU grad or something like that. But so do you have someone that really sits down and just kind of scours hashtags to find people to repost? I'm going to take a guess on how we found you. Okay. All right. So as you know, good content is hard to find yes and creating content and curating content on a consistent basis it's extremely hard and I never looked at myself as a creative Mm -hmm. but I'm starting to find out that I'm more creative than I think I am Mm. or than I thought I was so you start to in creating content you start to have to build systems that will allow you to gather content from everywhere Mm. Because oftentimes you can focus on five to 10 schools or even 30 schools. Right. There are are over 100 HBCUs. Mm -hmm. So what I used to do at that time and sometimes still now, I would literally put in on Instagram the location of each school and look at the top nine. Uh That is very smart. Okay. It takes hours, though. Yeah, I can imagine. It probably I've timed myself and it took about two and a half hours wow. and going there and really engaging. You look at the top nine posts and it may be one post that stands out. And I'm pretty sure yours stood out. We screenshot it. And then as we're posting via our schedule during the week, we go, I look at my screenshots or um, the people that, you know, work on the account or people that post, they mm-hmm. look at their screenshots and we look at the picture, we try to do some research on you. So we usually go to your account and look at the things that you're talking about, the things that you like, how people interact with you. Then we try to come up with a caption. And oftentimes we just Google. So if you said how proud you are, we may group, we may Google proud. If you're talking about your first generation, we may Google first generation. And then we'll go through a bunch of different 
quotes and sayings and see which one fits. And then at that time, we were putting 15 hashtags on there. So if it was discoverable, you put the location on there and then you tag someone. So that's kind of like the surprise and delight. Yeah. Because you saw it and you're like, wow, this is this is so cool. You know, yeah. that I'm on a platform where more people can see me and it's an accomplishment that you're happy about. And it turns into, you know, something that you start to share. And now a year later, or almost a year later, we're on a podcast. Yeah. And I got to say, yeah, I was about to say, it's so cool that, well, one, I still, I'm still so thankful that you agreed to sit down with me. But then two, I, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I've always kind of seen myself as a creative. I just never knew which thing to put my energy into because I love to write I love to take pictures I love to record things I love to I'm not great at it but I love to draw and paint like I've always had this kind of creative energy and I never knew where to put it into and so Mm -hmm. actually when I was thinking about starting Imani's Corner really what kind of pushed me into it was seeing pages like yours and seeing other pages that we're just uplifting our community in a wide variety of ways. And I was like, well, hey, like, I can do that. Like, that's that's something I can do, you know? And like you said, now look at me. I have a podcast. And I'm, you know, a small platform is still a platform. And so here I am just, just trying to bring awareness to just the different awesome things that we are doing as a community. So it's all intertwined. And and that's the good thing as a creative, especially nowadays, where, like you said, you like to talk, you can write. So a podcast, I, l- I love the podcast format just for the simple fact that it's passive consumption mm-hmm. where somebody can be working out, listening to it. Somebody yep. can be driving, somebody can be walking their dog and you can't do that with video. Right. Then you have people that only love video because they are visual learners or that's how they like to uh, that's how they like to get their information right then you have people that still love to read long post blog posts and with you being a writer and with the internet being at scale you can put things that way so mm-hmm. how I look at it and how I look at content I know I'm kind of going off the going off the edge here no no go ahead <laughs> so like this, I would look at this podcast as a as a pillar piece of content mm. and then from this con- piece of content you can literally transcribe it and turn it into a, a blog post mm. and let's say we were we were videotaping then we could turn that into a YouTube post Mm-hmm. We could take snaps and put that on Snapchat. And so this one piece of content can literally turn into 40, 50 pieces of content. Then you can take micro pieces of content. And when we were talking about, when we we're talking about HBCUs, it may be a snippet that may work well on Instagram or Instagram story. So it's just so cool that all this stuff is just so, all this stuff is literally free. It takes your yeah. time. Mm-hmm. You can create a community by doing what you're good at and what you like to do. Mm-hmm. And I got to say though, so I was a business major as well. And so I love hearing that you didn't really take the traditional route with using your degree because, you know, I'm, I'm have my first big girl job now, you know, I'm salaried. I have the benefits and nice. yeah, I get to my office every day 
And while I love my job, I still feel like I'm not stretching as far as I could be. Right. And this, you know, content creation has kind of been that stretch. I need to really work that creative muscle. And I think you might even understand this, even though you really from the beginning weren't a self-proclaimed creative you've allowed you've been able to combine your formal education with really just a simple interest and now it like you said it's expanded into you know the snapchat the instagram the this the that and you're able to pour into me i thought about doing a blog but i didn't even realize i could take my podcast and put that down as a piece of something into my blog i didn't even think about you know even like taking a blurb of this and make putting it on the Instagram video like and I think that's so cool because to me that speaks a lot about your business experience or just like the way you were formerly trained I think good businessmen are great at helping other people accomplish where they need like what they can't what's the word I'm trying to say I think that great business people are great at helping other people get to where they want to be you know like they're able to pour into people without being selfish with their knowledge right because you know it's one it's enough room for all of us at the bank yes that's that's the first thing but two um when you're trying to be creative every day you start to think about different things and you start to think about different ways to be creative right and it took me a while to kind of come up with those things like, hmm, what can we put on our website? Oh, we have content over here. We need to take that content and repurpose it. And this can be something here because we know the people that are on Facebook mm-hmm. may not be on Instagram. We know that people that are on Snapchat, they're definitely not on Facebook. Right. We know that people that are readers may not be ones that are looking at YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's so many different things. But going back to what you were saying about having a job, I think jobs are so crucial, especially at the beginning, because it's like an ATM. So mm-hmm. it, can, it can allow you to, you know, first, first of all, take care of what you need to take care of as far as, you know, debt and responsibilities. Right. But what it really the the real good thing is that it allows us, well, the Internet has allowed us to be creative. Our parents couldn't go to work and then from 7 p.m. to midnight work on their passion project. Right. <laughs> the internet wasn't available for them. Yeah. So with nowadays with the internet, you can still work a job and then you can still work on quote unquote your side hustle. Right. And then once that turns into something that is sustainable, then you can, you know, peace out to the job. Right. You can move into doing that content creation full time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with, wow, this really took a turn. I'm happy it did because I think as a community, sometimes we are inclined to keep the secrets for ourselves. And I like they're so open about, oh, no, girl, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how you can do this. And this is that. And this is that. And I like that. But have you found that you have like really a different appreciation for having gone to an HBCU now that you have a couple years under your belt with running this page and everything, or not even this page, this platform? Yeah, it's so many smart, um, intellectual, experienced people 
that go to HBCUs. And oftentimes your perspective is totally different than someone that may have went to the same school or even right. were in the same classes as you and or people that went to different schools. So the ability to have conversations. So me and you are having a conversation. And as you say, you're pouring, I'm pouring into you, you're pouring into me just as much. And now we've developed a relationship. So now this can turn into a lot of different things. Right. We can always help each other. We can uh, always chit chat. I can say, Imani, hey, I got this problem. What do you think about this? What do you think about doing this or doing that? And we can help each other. So you start to have those conversations. And that's the first step. Yeah. And once you start to have those conversations, your perspective starts to change and you start to have a lot more empathy for how people look at things. But you know, I looked at it as my only option and, you know, I love black people and I love uh, intellectual black people. I love black excellence. Mm -hmm. So that was always was coming out. So even with you, I mean, even when you say the page is positive, that, that was just always in me. So I think mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of social media is just a mirror of what's inside you. So it has, it has definitely expanded uh, my thoughts on HBCUs and oftentimes got different perspectives. So we posted something yesterday about Cory Booker and he was talking about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did. I was actually going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was uh, something that, you know, is, is kind of, you know, things can get kind of controversial on how people put things out there. And then you have a bunch of comments with people talking about everything and, we read every single comment and mm -hmm. try to respond to every single comment because the qualitative feedback that you get from reading every comment, it just lets you know your audience so much more. Yes. So as I told you, we started selling t-shirts, but then we got away from that because we were trying to build a media company and build an audience. But then mm -hmm. we posted something that said, never apologize for being an HBCU grad and somebody comment commenting can somebody put this on a shirt and apron everything right and we we made them and they sell like hotcakes yes that's and awesome that, and that's just from reading comments yeah see and i have this <laughs> i appreciate that like even if i'm laughing like putting laughing emojis y'all like it y'all you know give something back and i like that because it again it makes it feel very personal yeah. um and you know so i was gonna bring up the cory booker thing um so I'll give my opinion about that. And then I want to hear your opinion. Okay. So I understand, I understand where he's coming from. I do. I, I get, I think I get what he's trying to say, but because he did not go to an HBCU, I think his comment is ill-informed and I think it comes across as well, I'm black, so I get it. So, like, yeah, like, we're just welcoming. We let everybody in. And it's like, yeah, legally we have to, <laughs> you know. But I'm a history person. You know, I, that's kind of one of the reasons I picked Hampton because there is Emancipation Oak is on campus, and that is where the former slaves, the Emancipation Proclamation was read to them. You know, there is the remains of a schoolhouse where a woman, a free woman, she illegally taught former slaves and slaves how to read so it's like I love the history that comes with HBCUs I love it and I believe he went to Stanford that history is not there for him um he can't walk around campus and say oh this is special to me because really when the school was founded you were you would not have been 
allowed to go there were you even really considered it a human being you were considered property if i remember correctly i think when those big schools were founded those ivies those big name schools that have such high regard in our country black people were not allowed to go there and so it's like, yes, there are non-Black people that go to HBCUs, but the Black people that go there, we go because there's a, a cultural connection, there's a historical connection. We know that in the 50s, that was really one of the only options, you know? In the 60s, yeah, you could have gone to the University of Michigan, you could have gone to the Ohio State, but would you have had a positive experience? Would you have had to sit in the hallway to hear your lecture, or could you have sat next to the white girl in your classroom? Could you go to your teacher outside of office hours and build that repertoire with them where they are able to pour into you in a way that HBCU teachers did. So it's like, yes, Corey, I get what you're saying. Yes, you're for the people, but please don't speak on what you do not know. So that that's my opinion. <laughs> Definitely. And, and in defense of him, it's hard to get full context off of just a tweet. And that is true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, so it was, it was kind of a setup, but it's, it sparked a conversation that, you know, extremely interesting and, you know, Obama didn't go to a HBCU and he, mm-hmm. you know, supported us endlessly. So we have to give him a little, a little slack, but I yeah. think it's extremely dangerous to start talking about HBCUs aren't just for black people because we, we've known in history what others have done to what black people have started. So yes. we have to be extremely careful about putting out that rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And when you're being a history person, you know mm-hmm. the, the best way to know the future is to know history. Yes, to take a look at your past. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. you know everything that's about is about to happen is has already happened. Because think about it on this podcast, this is nothing but the radio. Yeah, the news is there's the new school radio. Exactly. YouTube is nothing but TV. Right. And you, start, and you start to think about how brands were built and, you know, you can go extremely deep, but history, you know, is extremely important. So I was yeah. reading something um, while we're on this history thing. I was reading something uh, a couple of weeks ago where in 1948, the top sports were boxing, horse racing and baseball. Mm-hmm. That's that's because they were broadcasted over the radio. Yep. Then things changed and went to TV, and now it's basketball, football, and, you know, and things are, you know, changing with that as well. And when you look at brands, the brands that did well uh, when TV came out, right, right, when, when TV started um, was Procter & Gamble because they were advertising on TV before that the ones that advertised on the radio were doing well now with the internet whoever is doing the internet the best is the mm-hmm. ones that are winning so Amazon yeah. was first started was Amazon was the biggest advertiser on Google for the first eight years of Google AdWords you know That's what? I, believe, I completely believe that because you Google literally like purple shirt and amazon's the top one on every on everything yes <laughs> mm-hmm. it was, so i, I it believe was, that yeah unbelievable so then when facebook launched their product mm-hmm. who won on facebook whoever was advertising on facebook the most yeah. now instagram is that so fashion nova knocked it out you know, 
that's what I have to say though, my favorite, my favorite company as for their social media aspect, as well as their products though, Mm -hmm. but Rihanna's Fenty brand. Mm They're mm-hmm. her social. I don't know if you like know much about her social media team, but when I tell you they are on it, they never miss a mark, in my opinion. Um, you can tell that she has, you can tell honestly, you can tell flat out that her marketing team is full of young black people. I'm gonna say specifically black women because you know, as the black community, especially the queer black community, we come up with the terms, the slang, and we, we know how to use it. It's part of our AAVE, and yeah. when she promotes her products it's such a comfortable flow from okay sis get your body lava you go you know we get it it's not like it's not forced you know it's Mm -hmm. such a natural natural thing and because I'm curious whenever people post things I just read comments you know I just like to see how people feel about things and if somebody says even like way down in the comments if somebody says you know oh I didn't receive this her team is quick to say, hey, you know, we don't accept DMs on Instagram, but please message us on t- Insta- or Twitter or send us email here. Give us a call at this number. I like yeah. that. I that is- ordered, yeah, it's amazing. I ordered mm-hmm. something over Black Friday, and I guess something was weird with my bank. Her team literally gave me a call and was like, hey, you know, we were trying to process your order, but there's something weird going on. Like, could you clarify some things for us? What's up? And I'm like, I have never had a company call me personally to say hey we want to get this figured out and um make sure you get your products i literally would just get an email like oh we couldn't do this here's your money back that's such great 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 customer service and i feel like it stems from the connections that she's made with her fans and her supporters through social media you know that makes all the sense in the world because i'm not familiar with the inner workings of her social media but i'm very mm-hmm. familiar with her brand and how yeah. how well it's doing mm-hmm. and now that you tell me that that makes sense because whoever's closest to the customer wins the exactly. reason why amazon wins is because they're the closest to the customer mm-hmm. exactly you know, that makes it, a lot of sense. yeah so i'm as i listened to you were you a business marketing major like what where were you under that big umbrella of business because <laughs> I can hear a lot of different uh, emphases of like under that umbrella. Where where'd you fall? Marketing was my natural state. Okay. But um, I have an MBA, but my my major was business (laughs) finance. I Ah, thought it would teach you how to get all the money, but it didn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't, but yeah. But most of what you learn is just on the job. Yes, because you're you're so into it. You, like you say, what you're saying, you read comments. That is so important. There's so many people that don't read comments, mm. and they're losing. Like so, they'll look at all your quantitative stuff, right? But you have to look at all your qualitative stuff because that's what gives you your real understanding of your audience and what they want and how to talk to them, right? And, the difference between being able to truly get to them is the creative that you create. Mm-hmm. And the only way to know what type of creative to make is to truly listen to your audience. Yes. So I'm a, I'm a business lover all around and marketing was my, was naturally what I was good at because I was just always just, you know, a hustler. 
Right. So, um, but my major was finance. But most of, as you know, mo- most of what you learn is just being out here trying things and falling on your Networking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So did you at any point feel like... Um, Okay, so I'll preface this with, I don't know if you know about it, but right now there's this huge, still, for some reason, there's this huge debate about black students at PWIs versus black kids that go to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And there's this silly debate, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, I'm just happy as black, the black community, we're getting degrees, right? I'm happy that you're going to school, you know, because school isn't for everybody, but if it's for you, I'm happy that you're going, I'm happy that you're flourishing while you're there, but has that ever have you ever seen any of that in the comments on your page have you ever experienced any of that silly division a ton of it and i think people as you know but so many people are pandering to likes and comments yeah people talk about it because they know they're going to get attention Mm -hmm. but i in my opinion the real debate needs to be are you happy? Mm. Are you happy with your decision? And that's it. That's all. Yeah. But I think there needs to be a lot more exposure to HBCUs. And they need to hear people like you. They need to see that it was so, so many great people that came from HBCUs. And what I, you know, what, what I've really been seeing any money is people saying that they, they can't get any money from HBCUs. They're not offering any money. Which is, so silly to me because I know multiple people at Hampton right. alone. Hampton, now, I will say Hampton don't really want to give out money. I will say that. But it's because they had a lot of kids who they were giving these full ride scholarships and kids would get to school. And you know how college freshmen do that. Some, sometimes they act a fool. And so Hampton was like, well, technically we're losing money. So now they don't offer full scholarships. They offer partials. But I know multiple people who all they have to do is keep their GPA up. One of my best friends, actually, she has no student loan at all yeah. none because she got scholarships and so it's like I, I I'm more inclined to know please explain to me where this perception came from and how can I change that um, yeah. I, I feel like the big part of that debate is as HBCU graduates I think sometimes we take it personally and we get in our feelings when PWI students try to compare like the Black Student Union to an HBCU where they have these negative comments about HBCU. And I think we're so quick to jump down their throats and no, that's not it. This, this, that, this, this, that, nag, nag, nag. When in reality, we should say, all right, let me step back. Mm. Let me take a deep breath. Hey, let's have a discussion. Why do you feel this way? Right. Yeah. And that is so funny that you bring that up because that is something I hear a lot. And I'm like, yo, that's not true. That's not true at all, especially if it's a state school. They have so much more money than the private HBCUs because they're getting money straight from the government, like mm-hmm. a lot more money from the government. So it's like, no, you still get, you know, the scholarships and the money you need to complete your education. But like I said, it's more I think it should be more of a. <sighs> OK, um, let me let me try not to be offended by this statement and let <laughs> me talk to you like a person and not at you, you know, so. You know, and that's what we need to do if we're ever in the if we ever get a chance to talk to somebody that went to a PWI, we need to sit down and have that conversation on your podcast and, you know, really have that conversation. I think it can be. Yeah. And I I actually I started at a PWI and I transferred to Hampton and 
Yeah. So for me, it was, I, so, okay. A little background about me from kindergarten to seventh grade. I went to a small school, but everybody there for the, like, I think I had like, there were maybe like three white teachers and like maybe a sprinkle of white kids like there weren't many white kids like the school was affiliated with a big church in the area and it was a it was a big black church so all the parents sent their kids to this school Mm -hmm. I loved the school and I didn't realize how much I benefited from seeing teachers that looked like me until the school closed and I went to the other Christian school across town where um my first year there my eighth grade year my grades tanked I had no teachers that looked like me. Most of my classmates, I went from seeing shades of brown to, oh my God, I'm back from spring break and I'm almost as black as you. And <laughs> as an eighth grader, even though I grew up in this really comfortable black environment, I didn't know how to respond to that. And so then I go through my four years of high school and my guidance counselor was a black woman. I knew about HBCUs, but I knew about the big ones, right? I knew about the Howard. I knew about the Morehouse. I knew about the Spellman. And I knew about North Carolina Central because my dad went there. I didn't know about Hampton when I graduated. I didn't know about FAMU like that. I didn't know about the hundred plus schools that were developed purely to cater to people that look like me. And so I go to my little PWI and I was I started in one school and I was there for a semester. I was like, oh, I can't do this. It was so awful. You know, they, they reel you in with the pictures of the four black kids on the picture. And you see all the black when you, for some reason, there's so many black kids on campus when you go visit, but then you get there and there's like three and it's like, you guys have to, at least in my experience, I, I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I had to, be black or like I had to be seen as black right I had to if, if one of my white friends told me about a rap song I had to go home and listen to it because that's the only way that they for some reason could connect with me right. I actually I liked a, I like a lot of music at that time I was actually really into country so it was like you would have had a better chance of me knowing a Carrie Underwood song than me knowing that Tiger song because 18 year old me did not I knew one song by Tiger and to, <laughs> I didn't know the words either. I just knew of them, right? And, and I tell you what, country music is really good right now. This is, this is, this is not the, your old Garth Brooks stuff. This is right. it's good country music. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. You know what? And they're great storytellers and they tell normal down to earth Friday night mm-hmm. going to a football game and, and, yes. and it's love music, you know? Yes, so. exactly. It's so little 18 year old me was in love with me some country music and then I went to University of Cincinnati and that was actually the first time I'd been called a nigger to my face wow. and Cincinnati I was like, is just, it's bad it's like the it, song it is Cincinnati and I tell people all the time I'm like because you know people tell me they're like oh well, you're from the north you don't really know racism I'm like there's literally a city in my state where the KKK pastor used to live like I think I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what it's like because see racism up north is not the hoods and the burning crosses it's very very subtle and you have to be aware really yeah I feel like you have to you grow up with a little bit more of an awareness of how people look at you because it's it's not that you know somebody's going to call you the n-word to your face but they are going to clutch their purse a little bit tighter they're going to doubt that 
you own this thing because how could that black person have that is it's 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 a little different because I have this northern racism experience then I have a Hampton Virginia experience then I have a Cincinnati Ohio experience so it's like I have these wide variety of like racist experiences and they're all they're the same at the root but they're very very different because of the subtleties of it and so I got to Hampton my little sister actually started there first and it's funny because she swore up and down I was going to take all her friends and be up under her I'm like girl I don't (laughs) I just want to get an education and I got to Hampton and I came back that after that semester and my dad pulled me aside he said I'm so proud of you because I feel like you finally figured it out he was like, you look so comfortable. He's like, I feel like you, you get it now. Like, you know, I feel like you, you're starting to go down that path of really growing into your own as a black woman. Yeah. And I don't doubt that people who do their four years or however many years it takes them to get their bachelor's at a PWI, I don't doubt that they come into their own as a black person. I don't because any experience as a black person is a black experience. But for me personally, I needed to once again see teachers that looked at me I needed to once again have a teacher call me by my first name and not uh you in the fifth row to the left I I needed that personal personal connection that I feel like you can only get at an HBCU that is so true that is true it's just it's it's something just so comfortable about walking into your classroom and especially at Hampton you know in the business program you couldn't come to most classes just wearing anything you know you have to wear your your nice clothes you need to present yourself as you would if you're going to work and so it was nice to see that my teachers cared about that because they want me to go out into my real job and not show up wearing any old thing or when I go into my interview I have my suit because I was required to have one at school you know like it's little things that I don't realize are such a big deal because I've been on group interviews and people have on just anything and (laughs) you know and it's like what I have figured that out the hard way and not gotten called back from interview if I had stayed at Cincinnati because I just showed up wearing you know this maybe it's a nice dress but it's a loud dress or would I have figured that out you know what I figured it out or would I have grown better just from my teacher saying you need this white blouse you need these pantyhose you need these not six inch heels wear your three inch heels because that looks more presentable and professional mm-hmm. you know yeah you know I think now that I'm now that you say that that's probably why I said I wanted to go to an HBCU because everybody on Hampton's campus was just beautiful <laughs> I said this is great I have to be with this many people this yes Yes. yes. I'm not gonna lie though. I'm not gonna lie. When I was walking around campus, I was like, mm, look at all these beautiful brown men. Okay, I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> I think I think when you grow up, uh you know, I've both my parents are black. I think when you grow up looking at like a beautiful black love, you a small part of you is like, Where can I go to get that? Hmm. Let yeah. Yeah. So you brought up beautiful people. Did you meet a beautiful person at FAMU? I'm going to be nosy. I met a bunch of beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A bunch of beautiful people. But um, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming for a young black male between the age of 18 to 22. <laughs> so, 
you know, I forged some different relationships, but right. didn't, did not marry anyone I went to school with. Mm, okay. It was a bunch of bunch of great people, and you know, and and the looks is just the the top the top of the iceberg because after you get past that, you find out how smart people are right. and how accomplished they are and how driven they are. It's just it's, it's the best. It's the best. If I'm ever reincarnated, put me back on HBCU campus and let me pledge yeah, first. No. oh my goodness but no I get it though I really do like it's like I said it is the wow these people physically look great but then when you get to sit down and that's something again I'm speaking from my experience that's not something I got really at Cincinnati yeah you're attractive but we're not really connecting on an intellectual level but (laughs) You like the conversations you have, I feel like at HBCUs, like those two in the morning conversations about stuff, and it just it just falls into something deeper. I remember, um, so my birthday's in February, so Black Panther came out a week before I turned 23, and wow. yeah, so that it was a cool week. So, yeah, it was a great week, it was a phenomenal. So, I remember I was sitting. Uh, one of my friends was a graduate assistant at a guy's dorm on campus, and so. Um, I told him, I was like, hey, I'm about to go like pick up a pizza. Well, if you order one, I'll pick it up for you. So I bring it to him and we're just sitting and talking and we got to talking about Black Panther. And when I tell you we sat there for about an hour and a half to two hours talking about not just the movie or the costumes, but the implications of everything in the movie and how this kind of pointed in this direction how Killmonger wasn't really the bad guy but he was more of an antagonist like he's not he's not a villain but he still had a purpose and you know we dove so deep into that and when I went walked back to my dorm I couldn't help but think a small you know I was like would I have had this convert like as deep of a conversation if I was a little bit younger if I hadn't been poured into for this past year and a half at my HBCU like what I have been able to look into it and see those subtleties and those um just those little tweaks and those little things that maybe you don't see the first time you see the movie but what I have what I have been able to articulate how I felt about it if I hadn't been poured into like this and yeah and that's really how (laughs) you know you know (laughs) it's just a I love my HBCU, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so, 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 again, grateful and thankful that you took some time out before noon on a Saturday morning to uh, sit down and let me ask you all types of questions. Um, I, I really am so thankful. And like I said, y'all, this page is has just been consistently growing and growing and just been pouring into our community. So if you do not follow hbcu grad on instagram go check them out give them a follow just and take some time to scroll through the page as well because y'all post a lot during the day i'll (laughs) i'll find that i've liked something and then i get back on instagram and i'm like when where did this picture come from like y'all post a lot (laughs) and i like it because it can like you know sometimes i just find myself scrolling and it gives me new things to look at and think about or new people to congratulate and things like that so yeah, thank you. thank you, Imani, for having me. I um, uh, I really, to be honest, you're a really good interviewer because thank you, you. 
because you're conversational. You have a lot of energy. What um, You seem well prepared. You know, so I really think that, you know, this is going to go extremely well for you, you know, you know, and as you know, you're building assets and it, it turns into something where people can really get something out of it and listen to conversations. Because at one time, these conversations, we would have them between ourselves, but right. nobody else can listen to it. So with podcasts, people can listen to conversations that they weren't privy to before. So I appreciate you having me. Uh, I wish you the best. Uh, if there's anything we can ever do to help, we're always a, a DM or a call away. So oh, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. So that is such a wonderful compliment. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Um, got me blushing over here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then we have to we have to do it again. We have to do it yes. again, you know, and, and have more conversations, maybe involve more people or maybe do a live session one day, you know, it's, yes. it's the different things that we may be able to do. Are you based in Cleveland right now? I'm between Chicago and Cleveland. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, the, both of those are really between four to five hours away. So I would love to sit down and like be able to film one of the interviews one day. I'd love that. That would be great. Definitely. I'd be super dope. Where, what city are you in? I'm in, I'm right outside of Detroit, Southfield. Oh, so you're in South. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's... yeah. I I have plans to move to the East Coast. Really? One day. One day. It's okay. nothing is, you know, set in stone yet. But I mean, just going to Hampton and being able to zip up to D.C. And I fell in love with D.C. Just 100 percent. My dad um, lived there after he got his law degree and he just really fell in love with the city. And I think he passed that on to me because. I had an internship to, let me see, summer of 17, and I lived there. And when I moved, but I was driving back to campus, I was like, I have to make my way back there. I have to. So, you know, eventually one day I'll be on the East Coast, but that's just a new place for you to come and visit. You see, it's just, it, it's all encompassing. It's just one big, one big thing. So, DC is probably my favorite city. Hands down. Hands down. It's probably, it's, it goes back to, beautiful people yeah i love spirit. <laughs> and yeah. spiritually you know but i i absolutely love dc every time i touch down it just it just feels right now yeah. atlanta's atlanta's a close second but you know atlanta's a little um little different than what it used to be it's a lot of people there now so i have actually never been to atlanta for mm-hmm. like outside of driving through you know, okay. I have family in the very, very southern part of Georgia. So, you know, we drive through, but I've never been able to just go explore Atlanta. And I know for a lot of young black professionals, that's that's like the place to go. Like, you know, you want to go to Atlanta. You want to experience Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, I think after Tyler Perry put his, um, what is it, his studios there, I, from my outside perspective, that's when I really started to hear of Atlanta kind of being on the come up. But I think it was a long time coming. I think Atlanta had planted the right seeds to even really, you know, because Tyler Perry could have picked anywhere, but I think they planted the right seeds for him to want to put his studio there. And now you have this influx of young black creatives and young black professionals. And, you know, it's starting to really shape the city into really just this really awesome place if you're black like you, you'll feel comfortable in Atlanta you know so 
you know, I left that out of my quote unquote HBCU bio as well. Mm-hmm. I had a cousin that went to Morehouse when I was in high school. Okay. And I went down to visit him for one of my spring breaks as well. So he showed me Morehouse and showed I would be on Spelman's campus. I was taking I was taking pictures with Spelman people when I was in high school. Yeah. Still have some old pictures. I thought I was the coolest. I had like a DKNY shirt on. <laughs> I vividly remember it. <laughs> so, you know, and that made me say, wow, if I go, if I'm in Atlanta, it's going to be hard for me to concentrate. I need to be in a place that's a little bit more college centric. Mm, you know? Okay. That led me to say, hey, I need to be, you know, at an HBCU as well. That was, that was yeah. pivotal. That was that's awesome I think it's also very important that even as a high schooler you were able to say I wouldn't be able to focus here that's a that's really that's a lot of maturity for a 17 16 17 18 year old to be able to say that because I can definitely say I did not have that uh I did not have that <laughs> when I was that age I was just like I know I have to get a degree I just have to go get it I don't know where I'm gonna get it but I just know I have to get it so <laughs> right right that's yes, pretty dope. Chance to get to Atlanta. That's a you know, it's a good place to spend two or three days. You know, yeah. but DC is probably probably my favorite place. You know. Yeah, I actually have a plan this fall. I told my friends, I'm like, y'all save your money because I want to hit a different homecoming <laughs> each weekend. So I would love to be able to save up some money and just go to I want to go to Howard's homecoming. I want to go to Jiho and I want to go to Spellhouse. So I know, I know that one of them is going to end up being on the same weekend as another. So I might only be able to squeeze in two, but I, it's something about an HBCU homecoming, no matter what school you went to, it's just something about an HBCU homecoming and I have to hit another one. I have to. So you need to, you need to come to fans. That's what we, you need to put it on the schedule, come down and we'll record uh, a couple of things. I'll show you some different things and you, you, you know need- what? I'll put it on the calendar. You tell me when homecoming is, and I will come down to FAMU's homecoming. I'll, and I know, but I don't know right now. I'll I'll let you know. But yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be great. It's gonna All be right, great. I'm sold. Like I said, I just I just like seeing it's like a big old family reunion. I just love to see it, and like you know the vendors and everything. And I know y'all probably have some good food. I know y'all have some great seafood. Y'all are right there near the water, so I know. I know a girl's gonna be able to eat eat well. <laughs> yes. Well, all right. Thank you. Because uh, I could I could talk all day. So let me let you go. Let because I have tons of stuff I have to do today. But yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sitting down with me and just answering my questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, money. If you ever need me, you know where I'm at. All right. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that, you know, y'all got something out of this conversation. Um, Again, my Instagram page is Imani's Corner. Just one word. If something I said sparked something in your mind, DM me. Talk to me. Like, let's have a conversation about this. Um, Everybody, have a lovely, lovely day. Thanks again for tuning in. Bye.